from Atlanta, where 6 million people said, to hell with the speed limit. It's the Whole World Improv Theater Podcast, brought to you by Whole World Improv Theater, Atlanta's original home of improv. Here are your hosts, artistic director Chip Powell, and a man who's quitting smoking for the fifth time this month, John Mihalik. John, good John, good John job. Oh Lord. Hey everybody, it's John. Thanks for tuning in this week. We're jumping right into part two of our interview with Robert Lowe. Get the notebooks out and start taking notes now. We're picking up the interview with Chip asking about the improv mind. You're saying improv mind, and I love to teach in that aspect of improv mind. So you're getting to the show. What's the process that you take these actors through to get to the show? Like, what is the training? We play. We play. And I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know who the group is. We have this thing as humans. We say, well, I've been working with these people. This is my first time. And, you know, newbies are like this and they need that or they need the other. So I got to think about doing these things. and I want to accomplish these things. Well, I'm already not an improviser while I'm doing that. I know that stuff. I think about that stuff. I practice that stuff. I've read about that stuff. I'm probably one of the best read improv teachers anywhere. It's from my background. I'm, you know, baby boomer and all, right? Reading is a little bit like writing kids out there for the millennials. Reading is a thing. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) The analog Kindle. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) Perfect. To step out there and to begin to play myself. This is a new group of people. Maybe I've worked with them for six weeks. They're different than they were yesterday, let alone when they started. And if they're not, eh, there's some problems with one's improv (laughs) when that's going on. It's one of the things I appreciate. I I can't embarrass him. It's one of the things I really appreciate about Whole World and Chip particularly is the growth, the change, the development, the shift. You don't walk up on the stage saying, okay, I know this stuff. I got it down. I'm going to do this, that, and the other. You walk up there and you deal with the audience as they are. And when you're dealing with a Friday, Saturday, the audience set up, each one of those audiences, as you know, are different than any other audience that's ever been and different than anything that's ever happened before. And that's the mindset. So what I do is I get up there and I say, okay, let's play. Let's play at something. Let's do something different. I'm the teacher. I'm supposed to know what's going on. No, I'm not. So that's been primary in my teaching. I have never prepared as such for a specific improv workshop, set, or show. I've done major, I've done a thousand people for the National Speakers Association. I had no idea what I was going to do or say until I got on the stage. I'm an improviser. I go to my craft. So if I'm going to be a teacher, and it's what I think I know, I feel about teachers everywhere, and you're going to be teaching sitar. You don't have a sitar in your hand playing with it. You're going to teach guitar, and you're not playing the guitar when I walk in the door. You're going to teach improv, and you're not in an improv state of mind when I walk in the door. I have a goal. I want this to happen. I want people to get this. I want them to get that. So again, that same kind of thing. I walk into a class as a teacher and I've seen teachers do this. I've taught teachers. I walk into the classroom. I want to accomplish this. That's the same thing as walking into a scene and saying, I want to accomplish laughter. I want to accomplish a scene that has a beginning, middle, and end. I want the scene to have, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same thing as writing the scene. My description of the two different teachers who come to town to teach improv, one comes and says, hey, come gather with me. I've got this this message I want to share. It's it's called improv. Come let me share this with you. Another teacher comes to town and says, 
come gather around. I am the message. And that's the difference. We are not the message. The improv is the message. And what is that message? The message is that playfulness is the way mammals learn. It's the way we grow. It's the way we teach each other is with playfulness. You got to learn this. And if you don't learn it right, you're wrong. You're bad. You're evil. You're worthless. Well, that's me talking about me being bad and evil and worthless, isn't it? Yeah. Now, this clarity of, wow, I get, I, get to, I, get to, I get to play. I'm not the teacher because I know what's going on. I'm the teacher because I know how to be. And being has to do with just be in the current moment. Let's practice that. Let's try that out. That's why the little simple one-word games are really fun, word for word, right? I would do a thing when I would teach word for word, right? To get a sentence out of a group of people, right? I'd say, okay, or, oh, I know a, a prop montage, right? This is what I would do with prop montage. I would take something, I'd grab something up, a stick or something. I'd say, okay, we're going to go around the circle. And, and when it gets to you, I want you to make it be something totally new and something different. The one thing is, like I said, is that in the improv mind, if you've ever used it before, ever thought of it before, you can't use it. So if you think of something that that stick's going to be before you get to it, before it gets to you, you can't use it. A game I've played, and I've done this with people in teaching, a game I play with my son, something you can do in the theater when you're teaching there. A game called, what's something you've never seen before? We had a place where there was a little uh, ice cream shop, and we sat where the windows were, and for three, four years, we would go there once a week or every other week, and we would look out, and the game was find something that you've never seen before. Can't be a moving thing like a car, can't be paper, you know, something that's, good. Something that's been there the whole time. Whew, four years I went with my child, and every time. There was something new. So when's the last time either of you stood on your stage and looked around and said, what's something in this room I've never seen before? What's something in the lobby I've never seen before? What's something behind the bar I've never seen before? Well, the mind says, well, there's nothing there. That's old mind. That's not improv mind. Improv mind is, oh, wait a minute. And boom. And even to this day, as I walk through my neighbors and I see things I have never seen before, that's the improv mind. What's something that's never happened here before? And the neighbors Again, ask you to leave the house. Right? They, they, they do. They, they, the, that's one of the first things is say, what, do you need a key or what? What's the deal? <laughs> and that, I'm not all. Uh, my God. Sir, could you move on? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Under all of this for me is a firm belief that the improv movement, and this is, I think, part of the education. So many people, how do I say this? You don't need anything to do improv. It's like kids getting together to play. You can get up there and you can do anything as long as you do it with joyousness and pleasantness and people are having fun and they've got some basic rules like not hating each other and, you know, not calling each other names and you know, that kind of stuff. Any kind. You, know, you don't need anything more than that to get up and play. Get up and play. Get up and play. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. More more. Let's play more. Let's do something different. Let's do it somehow differently. Yes and is an interesting thing and part of the teaching. Now, Yes, and didn't become common until I'd been at this for a while. I'd been 15, 20 years before that term came up. But being accepting, being open to whatever happens, somebody says something, it's gotten hackneyed. Yes, and. So I try to find other ways of teaching this. Things like, you bet your sweet ass, and Yeah, come on. I'm not talking about, yeah. Oh, we're, we're definitely taking that yep. off. We're assuming that. My, my, my next show. I'm going to sweet ass and. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, and. Hell yeah. Yes. And maybe, you know, yes. And probably. No, you yes, bet your sweet yeah. ass and we're going to full encompassment, full engagement in the yes to the universe, to the yes to me being there. I'm the first person to say yes and to. 
Should I go in there and see a show? Yes. Now, here's the other thing in my teaching. I am also of the opinion that if I can teach five basic skills, the person who learns those skills can play improv most places. They get to be 10 skills. They can do that in almost any improv venue anywhere in the world. And if you get to 20, you can teach it. You can teach it almost anywhere at all. And y'all know there are 50 things to think about, to consider. How do you do this? How do you do that? What did I do? How did I? Well, now we come to the thing of mistakes and errors. We are taught in our schools not to make a mistake. How do you make a person be uneducated? Tell them, don't make a mistake. Don't raise your hand if you don't know the answer. Don't raise your hand if you're afraid the answer is going to be wrong. Don't raise your hand if people are going to laugh. What an awful thing that is to human beings. You do that to a child or a dog and you watch them wither. You do it to an adult and you don't get to see the withering. It happens inside. People are terrified of making mistakes and being laughed at. But if they get being laughed with, it's another skill. When you have your students in the, what you call the improv mind, and in that moment, is there anything that you're doing to help spark the creativity that they're generating in that moment? How do I say this? Everything. <laughs> the way I stand, the way I talk, the way I am, how I come to the place, how, where my mind is. The hard job of clearing the mind. I'm an intellectual. I'm an author, an intellectual teacher, and the, my mind is always full of, oh, wow, and clearing the mind, okay? Clear it, clear it, clear it, clear the body. Get into the current moment, into the physical being. I've mentioned Aikido several times. It's a long conversation, but it's a Japanese martial art that is a defensive art. There's no hitting, kicking, or breaking in it. The job of the Aikidoist is to take conflict and to bring it to neutral without anybody getting hurt. If I were to hurt somebody using my Aikido, I will have done it wrong. And the baseline of it is that there's a place on our body called the hara. And this is an important thing. And it's very touchy to teach this to people. There's a location in our body, a couple inches below the navel, right in the middle of our body, that is our center, exact center of balance. For a visual, if you were to stick a spear through us at that point, you could spin us, right? That's exact center of balance. And people reside in different places in their bodies. A lot of people are in their head, and you can see it. You can see that they're living there in their head. Young women are there in their breasts. Young men are in their crotches. Young everybody are in both of them all the time. <laughs> I think that's the best case scenario. <laughs> that's a be- exactly right. I think you nailed it. What happens is that you get yourself into your center, and it draws people to you. The man who invented Aikido, they called him Osensei, a little five-foot-two guy, six big black belts could rush him and try to grab him and in a few minutes it would sort of go and suddenly he'd be down on the ground all of them and he'd hold them all down by holding one person with his wrist sensei how do you do that he says well I, i simply connect my center to the center of the earth and i let her do the work we are that connected to our universe and it's again fundamental to my belief in the improv i believe that the improv idea, the concept, the mind is the next stage of the development of human consciousness, of the evolution of human consciousness and collaboration. And what I'm really teaching, what I'm trying to get across to people, if anything is that I'm trying to get there, is that we need to be ourselves, to be our most vulnerable, real, absolutely real self as much as we can be and in collaboration with the others. You've been listening to people talk about improv, so why not try it yourself? 
Whole World Improv Theater has in-person improv classes for beginners and seasoned actors alike. No prior experience is needed. Our class program is eight weeks long and full of people just like you who want to learn and have a lot of fun. Just check out our website to learn more or sign up. The website is wholeworldtheater.com. And that's theater with an R-E at the end because we're fancy. When did you start doing improv? I was like, from birth? Because <laughs> I don't know any, because I would wrangle, my brother was like one of my actors and in the dining room in the house was the stage. And I would charge everybody at the dining room table when my parents would bring guests over money and I would give them a ticket to come into the living room and see the show. And we would put up a curtain and my brother was very reluctant. He did not want, here's the kicker. My brother is now our bar manager. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 of course. Right. It's so funny because I've always included him in the somehow way, shape, or form in the shows that I was doing. But, you know, we did such greats as uh, Return of the Jedi and uh, <sighs> Exorcist. We had many a great show at the house. <laughs> but, it's like, you know, this was, you know, me discovering the fact that I always had a vision that I was going to be in this business and in this industry, and I oh. fought my way into it. But I always had this image in my head. It's so weird. I would have dreams about the fact that I had a wardrobe with wigs, and now oh, I have a wardrobe. Yeah. With oh, it's, yes. it's crazy. It has little heads and all the wigs, and it's like a two tier thing. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. There. It's there. So I got to Atlanta. There was nobody, nothing here. I started my first workshops. We played in all kinds of screwy places. People kept showing up. I got to the place where I had to break my classes into two sets because I had too many people, you know, 60 people or some kind, kind of thing like that coming to the workshop. And this was all by word of mouth and shows that people had seen and, and that sort of thing. The next city comedy theater, uh, you know, where the Majestic Cafe is. Oh, yeah. um, at the other end of that building, uh, now I think it's a workout gym of some sort. That was the next city comedy theater. And it was the first improv comedy theater in the southeastern U.S. As my workshops were the first workshops in the southeastern U.S. The whole world and dads came 10 years later. They came together and expanded. Uh, Laughing Matters had broken off and a couple of other little groups were doing some work. Wow, when the pandemic hit, we had five improv comedy theaters, four colleges. At one point, we had 30 different places a person could go to learn improv in Atlanta. And it's been growing like that all over the country. At first, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, but now every state in the country. And it's one of the things that Cool World and Dads, particularly, and The Village, all three have done, has presented, hey, come in here. This is a different place. Something else is going on here. But not with Flash, with a reality. You walk in the door at Whole World and you are welcomed and not welcomed as a stranger or as a ticket. You're welcomed as a member of the troupe. You're welcomed as a member of the building, a member of the movement, a member of a global movement, millions of people all over the world working with hurricane victims, working with autistic children, Alzheimer's families, massive things. Medical improv is this wonderful thing. People go, medical improv, they get these visions, you know, the doctor going, oh, I don't know, let's look at this. You know, what do you got over here? Let's see what these generally. Yeah. doctors. Please explain <laughs> medical improv. <laughs> <laughs> you got a patient in the hospital and there's a doctor, there's a nurse, there's an insurance guy, there's a family member, there's, you know, several other people going on, all this kind of going on. And they, they negotiate what to do and how to do things. And those negotiations are terrible. 
They're hard, difficult, life involved. And the people doing medical improv, Deb Girardi and like her name, Beth Boynton, wonderful people working with nurses and doctors. And what happens is they use the language, they use the games, they use the structures, they use the forms and the format. Major support for Whole World Improv Theater is provided by the Atlanta Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs, where beautiful people bring you the arts while surrounded by singing birds and fairies. They must have us mistaken for something like Shakespeare in the Park. Or the vagina monologues. Vagina. I believe that laughter is a global event. In my heart of hearts, I believe that laughter is, is global. Like lightning is global. If you have the right equipment, you can tell where lightning strikes anywhere on the earth. And laughter is like that. You get people, oh, the laughter of a child, the laughter of an audience. There were times, it was this big square room, and there were times when the laughter and the joyousness got such that the room vibrated. <laughs> the walls. <laughs> At the beginning of our pandemic, we shut down two years ago, March, after we had done the Savannah Improv Comedy Fest. Ah, right. And uh, I just actually went back and performed with them a couple of weeks ago, and it was so much fun. And I have to say that sitting in the office for a year, you know, without hearing the laughter, when we brought the kids back in, when we brought the kids oh. back in and we had our nurse here and we had gone through protocol and the kids were able to come back into the building and Emily and I were sitting in the office and we started to hear the kids laughing. When it brought laughter back in, it brought us back to life. I mean, I'm telling you, we were like, we are going to get back to this and we're going to figure it out. And that's what we did. I mean, that laughter is like, it's like when we have an audience here and now we do shows on Friday and Saturday and have folks back in the building and the actors get to hear the actual reactions from a live audience. It fills you with life. It really does. I mean, it's such a therapeutic thing. And I have believed that ever since I started doing this, that that was always my therapy. I don't think I would be here 27 years if... It hadn't been for the laughter. I mean, it's a reward that you just get. I always tell my actors, it's not about making a joke. It's about living a moment and being in the moment with your partner that the comedy comes naturally and the audience reacts to it. The unknown, like where is the laughter going to come from? I think that's always a challenge too. So what are your thoughts on approaching a scene and how a scene works well? It gets to that baseline of what the improv actually is. I'm not doing the improv. I'm engaging with this global energy called improvisation. And if I have faith in it, funny things are going to come. Poignant things are going to come. When people see people learning, they see people change. They see a real moment happen. You know, Tommy Futch. Yeah. And you know, Tara Oaks? Yeah. Okay. Well, I watched them about three years ago. I watched them play a piece at the village when they were in little five points. Tommy'd been at it 35 years at the point. Tara had been at it 18 or 20 years. 
They've done every kind of thing. They're magnificent improvisers. They made us laugh and cry and laugh again. And they did it from a new place. When they walked on the stage, they were not people who had been doing this for 30 years. They were people doing this now. And they were doing it for me because I was there because I'd walked in the door, because I listened to somebody else who told me. And what happens, and you've seen this happen, it's the reason it's grown in Atlanta. When you send that audience out, whatever advertising, whatever other stuff you do, it's the word of mouth that spreads and spreads. And the word of mouth comes from people walking into a building one way and walking out a different person. And this is what I've watched happen. This is what I've seen. It's the joy of my life. I was one of the people that started the improv troupe at Georgia Tech 32 years ago. And I've watched these kids come in, smartest kids in the world, right? In their towns, they were the smartest people in their whole county, right? And they got to Georgia Tech and they were average <laughs> and, and heads full of stuff and not one social skill, right? And they come to the improv and they get in there and they're coming in like this and you watch it happen. They relax a little, their head comes up a little, their shoulders go back a little. You see them take a breath and then you see them teach someone else. Getting it and giving it away, getting it and giving it away. That's the process. During the pandemic, I'm in this neighborhood. I walk out there. I become what I call a, a walk-up comedian. <laughs> it started off for me in the neighborhood. People across the street. Oh, what a beautiful dog you have. Oh, thank you very much. Have you taught her how to shake with an elbow? And I get a big laugh, right? You know, I step off into the street. You walk past somebody in the sidewalk. I get close to him. I'd say, oh, man, the streets are longer these days, aren't they? You got to go like this to get from one end to the other, right? So now I'm a walk-up comedian and it's perfect because my audiences are one or two, maybe three. So if I bomb, no big deal. But that's, <laughs> that's, that's the improv. That's the thing of going out there. The willingness to speak up. The willingness. This is the mindset. This is mindful improv. The willingness to put oneself into the reality of the world, which is we do not know what's going to happen next. Ursula Le Guin said, the only thing that makes life possible is the absolute uncertainty of what comes next. If we knew, we would be bored to tears or we would be terrified. So we don't know. And to become comfortable with having no idea. Hal mentioned the Applied Improvisation Network. And you may remember he said when he went to, it was the first meeting with Baltimore, maybe. There were about 3,500 members. There are more than 9,000 members of the Applied Improvisation Network all over the globe been a while since I've done it. I looked at the Facebook groups. I counted 29 Facebook groups with over 30,000 people looking at improv, thinking about it in different kinds of ways. There's a great book by a man named Adam Blattner called Interactive and Improvisational Drama. And in that, he actually describes something like 27 different forms of improvisational theatrical work. We have comedy, we have short form, we've got long form. I did a show at Georgia Tech once. We called it song form. Uh, <laughs> and then it's also theater. That's the next step. And what does theater put on us? Well, holding our heads up, cheating out, speaking up, listening to the people so that we know what the next line's going to be, not overrunning other people's lines, knowing where the front and the back of the stage is, being up there and not being afraid to be up there, understanding those kinds of things understanding how to take the voice and use it all the way out to fill the building completely and then bring everybody slowly back in, back to you, back to the stage so that the entire audience can still tell what you're saying. And the books that are out now, when I started, there was this Viola Spolin and Keith Johnstone, Augusta Boal, 
Those were pretty much uh, the books that were out there on improv. Now there's a dozen books and a thousand blogs and various other kinds of things, people with their ideas and stuff. And I love it. There's a lot of improv books, including yours. But made you stop and think, you know what? I need to put this down on paper. I was asked to write the book. I can't remember who it was. It was a fellow who, from a big training organization, I, I'm remembering now, uh, this great training organization had been thinking of trying to find a way to, to write about improv as a teaching tool because it was a corporate teaching organization. And he ran into another friend of mine who'd been teaching uh, kids with nutrition, with humor and laughter. And the guy went up and saw him, thought he was good. He went up to him and said, hey, I want to write this book about using improv. You're quick on your feet. Could you help? And he said, oh, no, no, no. Robert Lowe in Atlanta is the guy you want to talk to. So this guy called me and the publisher called and, and they flew me to Minneapolis and they came down here, blah, blah, blah. So I sat down with a guy in this company that was going to sponsor the book. And the thing was, is I knew I had this information. So he's sitting down with me at lunch after he'd done this big thing and blah, blah, blah. And uh, he said, now, why do you want to write a book? And I said, well, first is because I got it in me. And the second is that I've got a son and I would give anything to have this much of my father's mind in print. And he looked at me. And he said, I've been doing this thing with books with people. And you said nothing about fame or money or anything like that. Because I never heard anybody. And that's why I write now. That's why I've written all my books. That's why I did the revision in 2017, because it needed updating. And then, you know, in closing, what is one thing that out of your book, you would want a improviser to take away? The depth, the depth of the improv, the history of it. There's a timeline. There's a huge bibliography. The fact that there were people who wrote about it, the fact that it came from the Etruscans. The first improvs that we know about were done by the Etruscans who came down into Rome out of the Etruscan hills. Then the Commedia, it's an ancient thing. The fact that when you are on stage, you are creating a global event, an advancement of society. I love that. I mean, that's a really good response. I try to teach my students to dive into the depth of the emotion that they're trying to take on right. or like what time or a place that you felt that can you dive into it to give it the realism that it needs and I think that's important there's an old term that people in the theater would say they'd meet somebody that they thought maybe and they say oh you're of the theater yes Yes, I am. We are of the theater. And improv is becoming of the theater more and more and more so. As you said, when you were a kid and you were playing the games, you didn't just say, okay, let's play cops and robbers. No, no, no. Hey, let's play Jedi and their forces, you know? Depth, one more depth. And in that reaching for our personal depth, our emotional depth, I want to do something like I've never done before. I want to be one who does stuff like that. We start stripping away those layers of barrier and armor that we have. I grew up so serious. I had my life planned out by the time I was 12. I was going to become a senator from California, and I was on my way to getting there. I was doing all of these things. I was so serious. And had I not found improvisation, I'd have died of a heart attack when I was 50, without a question. Instead, I've had more than half of my life in this joyous laughter, not based. And comedy's fun. Stand-up's fun. Laughter's fun. Jokes are fun. Puns are fun. But the joyous laughter that comes from reality. Because my friends, the earth is laughing. The joyousness of the vibration of the planet, of the solar system, of our sun, of the, of the of Laniakea super cluster of galaxies. Joyous laughter. 
is where we are and who we are, and we are capable of it, and we are capable of being a generator that helps them to laugh and helps us laugh together. So one day I hope to get passionate about this stuff. So <laughs> you've shown no passion at all. <laughs> I was hoping you'd wake up at some point. <laughs> this is a podcast. <laughs> We're going to talk about improv. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. It's been incredible having you here. I'm glad we're recording this because I want to go back and start taking notes. (laughs) Blown away by this. We love to have you. We hope to have you back very, very soon. I would love it. I've been called an improv evangelist and uh... (laughs) no idea why. I have no idea. What do you mean? (laughs) Well, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom with all those improvisers out there that need to get a leg up. So I'm Chip Powell. And I'm John Mihalik. And see. Thanks for listening to the Whole World Improv Theater podcast, a podcast that marches to its own poorly timed beat. The Whole World Improv podcast is a production of Whole World Improv Theater in association with Headspace Industries, the executive producer, writer, and commissioner of the Major League Improv is Chip Powell. The producer, writer, and lord of audio editing is John Halleck. I guess now that John is main stage, he wants fancier credits. Get so big in the head, John, just blow up. I'm just gonna be filled with helium and floating to the stratosphere. You know what I'm gonna do, John? Then I'm gonna come right up there in my little uh, what's that? What are them those, those things called? Hot air balloon. I'm gonna come up with a little poker, a little tiny little sewing needle poker, and I'm gonna pop your big old head down until you float down to the ground and nothing but a little shards of little pieces of your head. Original music by The Gentle Readers, and our social media maven is Bethany Rowe. Please help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and leaving us a review. Trust me, John needs to find more friends. Friends are overrated, John. Human friends are overrated. I've made some duck friends. I have some ducks down at the pond. I'm going to make it a habit to go there every day to feed them. Their their food is kind of limited. Their popcorn's not good for them. Bread's not good for them. Pretty much the only thing that's approved are seeds. That's pretty boring. They don't like that. They want Cheetos puffs. Whole World Improv Theater is a 501c3 nonprofit theater. Please support by donating at our website, wholeworldtheater.com. And remember, it is tax deductible. Save that cash now and buy the full-size candy bars for Halloween. Additional writing and voiceover from me, Kate Arlo. And I am the basic of basic bitches, and I love Halloween, and I love pumpkins, and I love pumpkin spice lattes, and I love watching dogs in Halloween costumes, and I'm not going to apologize for it. You know, society's kind of trying to make us basic bitches feel really bad about that, and I'm not going to apologize because pumpkins are all I have in this life anymore, and dogs in costumes preferably. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Love you. I love watching the two of you do your work together as well. It's really, it's, it's very nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is John's brainchild. He came to me with this and I said, hell yes. We need to do this. And so that's why we're here. So you got this guy to thank. Hubris. Right. It was a moment of absolute hubris. <laughs> <laughs> you make pretty children, John. <laughs> <laughs> thank you.